Welcome back to another episode of the My Love of Golf podcast coming to you in your ears, wherever you may be tuning in, on the gym, on the gym, in the gym, uh, on your commute, in the train, on the car, in the car, listening to another episode of Roscoe and Rocket. So I have my man Rocket on the other end of the phone and, uh, you know, it's not, not the same if we don't play him his music. How are you, Rocket? You all right? You good? Are you well? Oh, I'm just uh, I'm just finally getting rid of uh, some of the champagne that I was pouring over my head after uh, Sunday. Well, let me fill the listeners in with what you're referring to there, Rocket. So last week we mentioned that uh, we were going down to the uh, Southerly Buster event, which was held on Sunday afternoon at Kingston Heath, hosted by the very, very... Fine gentleman, Matthew Mollica, and uh, also Will Watt, who together have formed the Rollback Alliance. If you want to find out more about the Rollback Alliance, just follow follow them on Twitter. That's probably where they're going to be most active. But uh, obviously goes without saying that they're a group of guys that uh, wanted to create some discussion around rolling back the golf ball and, uh, and wanted to bring that to a few people's attention by getting us down there to play 12 holes at Kingston Heath in a competitive environment, if you cho- chose to use old equipment, vintage equipment, you could do so. The only stipulations were that you had to use a sub 300cc driver and 10 clubs and play over 10, 12 holes. And it's with great pleasure that the My Love of Golf podcast has its first ever team trophy winner. Let's hear it for him. That's That's... That's the applause that was uh, going around for you down there on Sunday at Kingston Heath Rocket. Congratulations to you, my man, for winning winning the inaugural Southerly Buster down there and representing Team My Love of Golf beautifully. Uh, we didn't play together. We were paired separately because uh, we had to split, split, um, share the love. You were paired up with a Kingston Heath member, as I was. Yes, that's Luke. Luke, he, uh, well, I certainly can't take uh, all of the credit. He did a fantastic job uh, applying local knowledge for me. Uh, he was carrying a fair chunk of the load. He was hitting it rather well. I'm pretty sure that the uh, the Shark Tour Edition, and uh, you know, it was an authentic Shark Tour Edition because it was a number zero, and uh, they were specially made for the Shark. So he's pulled that out and played 12 holes with that beauty. And I'm pretty sure a lot of magic was rubbing off on that golf ball as uh, Luke was golfing his way around Kingston Heath, that's for sure. So what you're saying, Rocket, is that you were just a bit part contributor in someone else's key performance because it was a pairs event. Sorry, I didn't, if I didn't mention that, it was a pairs event. So you, yes. were just, you were just a bit part performer, is that right, Rocket? Yes, yes. So if it was President's Cup style, I was JT to uh, Tiger Woods. <laughs> Now, uh, when we fronted up, uh, you did you did send me the message on uh, Sunday saying, "Look, I've, I've looked high and low through the uh, the rocket shed, and I can't seem to put my hands on a sub three hundred cc driver. Do you have one?" And I said, "I do, my friend. Uh, there's one in my car at all times." And I wasn't lying because there was a sub three hundred cc driver in the back of my uh, Nissan I'm, Navara. I'm pretty sure it was sub two hundred. <laughs> Well, I was going to put it at 150cc. I don't actually know how big. <laughs> I don't actually know how big a PGF Aristocrat 
small block persimmon head from about 1987. Yeah, seven is when I got that set. So um, I don't know how big they are, but it was tiny. It was tiny. The grip was original. It was harder than... A little bit slippery. <laughs> <laughs> so so just for the, the, the listening pleasure, I fronted that to Rocket and the eyes just rolled back in the head and gone, you've stitched me up big time. <laughs> Especially when I I didn't bring a three wood either, <laughs> because my club sponsor for the day, friend of the podcast and episode six uh, guest Mike Ferroni, and so he acted as my club sponsor, fronted me up with a beautiful Titleist nine seven five D driver, and if you played in and around that uh, early nineties era, you will know the nine seven five. Mid I had one of those. Yeah, you will know the nine seven five. I never had one myself. I, I was more uh, a Talamade guy back then, but uh, I do remember seeing one when I came back to the game, but never hit one. And Jeepers, I had missed out because that driver is beautiful, and it's still probably one, it's probably the best. It's probably one of the best Titleist drivers ever made. So, if you want to know what the Titleist nine seven five D driver is, you can go and Google that. But who would have been the most famous person to use a Titleist 975 driver rocket and win? Tigger. Tiger, yeah. Tigger, Tigger Woods and Adam Scott. Yeah, so you can see why the, those guys did so well because that driver is beautiful. So anyway, back to the back to the event and uh, we should give it some airtime because it was a lot of fun and I guess the purpose, as I said in the intro, was to create a little bit of discussion and create a little bit of attention and... Yeah, you know, the the guys are only small, starting small with it, but there were some significant people down there that were had enough interest to turn up and play. It was a very very interesting experience, you know, to play some old equipment with old golf balls. Now that was part of the entry fee. Um, everyone got three golf balls of their choice of the balls that were available. I chose the Maxfly HT ninety compression Bolata. Wasn't probably wasn't the ball of my choice in my formative years of golfing. I would have been more, more a Titleist uh, ninety Bellata user, but I migrated to the hundred when I started, you know, getting some man muscles. So we used the Titleist ninety. I think you put yours out of round after shot one. They didn't go too. I felt like they didn't go too too badly off the off the golf club, but certainly I struggled on putting. You know, with a I was using the Ping B60, and you could definitely feel that they were probably aged. The Bellata had uh, maybe gone off. Yeah, the, the the rubber wind. There's that rubber that rubber wind around that uh, liquid core. Yeah, I would say would be a little bit uh, non-elastic. Yeah, so there wasn't the sort of spin that you would have been familiar with if had you ever played a Bellata fresh out of the box back in the eighties uh, and nineties. But nonetheless. I guess the point is, um, my partner, who was also a Kingston Heath member, 12 handicapper, fine young man, Ben Vickers, and hopefully we've uh, migrated him across to a fan of the My Love of Golf podcast. And if you are listening, Ben, thank you for your company on Sunday. He was, after the six or seven holes, like square to the card. Square to the card, playing these old bats. He, he wasn't playing a ballada, but he was playing some, you know, Equally old golf ball. It wasn't a blood. It was a Serlin cover ball. And uh, he was square to the card. So I guess where my head's at is it, it, didn't, it didn't detract. It didn't, nothing that we did detracted from the enjoyment. The, the distance difference, okay, it was noticeable. But 
I don't know, Rocket, you know, chime in when, when you feel like it. But, you know, I was playing with 1990 Titleist Tour model blades. Mike Froney was playing with uh, Tour Editions. Oh, those Tour Editions. I fair income could have just licked those. They were beautiful. So when we talk Tour Editions, Rocket, fill the listeners in. Who would have been the most uh, famous player to play Tour Editions? The Shark. Yeah, exactly. Good old sporting Tour Editions. Uh, so I don't know if you noticed when uh, we were having the, the wee bit of a bite to eat before we go and play, uh, between Mike and myself, we were quite nerding out talking about tour editions and clubs like that from and, and where we find them. Um, so, yeah, when I got out there onto the seventh tee and, and gleaned a, a peek at the, uh, the condition of those irons and the story behind how he found them, Oh, my goodness. They were just mint. They were mint. Oh, my God. At one stage, I didn't even know why he played them because I, I almost wouldn't want to hit them. At one, beautiful. At one stage in the setting sun at uh, Kingston Heath, uh, they were positioned in such a way in his bag that they were catching the the glint of the sun. And, you know, there was, you know when you get something shining off, the, off a, sh- a shiny surface and it catches your yeah. eye? Well, it was catching yeah. everyone's eye and it was just drawing everyone across to what was coming out of the bag. And I just watched people <laughs> ooing and ahhing out of <laughs> these tour edition blades that uh, reminded me of my first ever boss in the pro shop in Cessnock, New South Wales. He was a Spalding player and he had a set of those and I just I just used to drool over oh. them every time. And he made me clean them. Every time he played, he'd say, Rossi, go and get them cleaned up, son. Oh. And uh, so I remember them very well. But people were just gooing and garring. Yeah, and... Who was gooing and going equally as much as the old guys like us, Rocket, were the young guys as well. The, the young guys yeah. that were there. And that was the other interesting part of this exercise is it was equal part mature age golfers like ourselves, Rocket, and I'll put myself yep. in the maturest of the mature age. And <laughs> and there were a handful of young whippersnappers and young guns yep. at, at that. And it was great to see, as I said to you uh, on my Instagram post, you know, you beat the current U.S. Mid Am champion, you beat the US well, Am. Well, well, well. Luke and I, as a team, beat Lucas uh, Michelle and and his partner. Yes, no mean feat. Oh yeah, you know we just take it in our stride. <laughs> we just take it in our stride. You know, we we we're quite happy to uh, for them to uh, come back for a rematch in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I don't think that uh, Roger Paul and uh, Lucas Michelle are going to be taking up on that, but I'm sure they appreciate the offer. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I think Lucas has got bigger things to concentrate on the next few months, like the Masters and the yeah, US like Open, playing at it, like playing at Augusta. Yeah, <laughs> but it was you know the point. I guess that we're, we're being flippant, as usually it is the case at this time of night. But um, it was great to see Lucas Michelle down there hanging out with the boys, playing twelve clubs. Uh, I'm not sure if he was playing some old school bats or not. But no, uh, he was playing. He's playing old. Old school gear. Playing old school gear and yep. uh, playing with his mates, Roger Paul and uh, Nicholas Mills and a few other guys. And uh, they really they really enjoyed it. And it was it was great to see them mixing in with the crowd. And I uh, had a little little brief brief chat to Lucas, you know, asked him that he uh, if he'd already been across to Augusta, which I knew he had, but he, would, he was recently um, returned from that trip. And I don't know if you heard... Because we said, uh, I said, asked him, I said, you know, when are you coming down to PK to have another hit? Because that was the last time I saw him down there playing with Eric Anders Lang. 
He said, I need to play at PK more often between now and the Masters because the greens at PK are the closest thing that he's ever putted on. Well, since TaylorMade won't give me any clubs, I'm quite happy to do some hosting duties for Lucas if he <laughs> so desires. <laughs> he said that the greens at PK are the closest thing that he's ever seen to his experience at Augusta Greens, which... Well, they're kind of made from the same... They're out of the same grass anyway. Well, it's a strain of, and, uh, you know... Yeah. Y- I haven't been to Augusta, so I've not seen it. Obviously, I've never putted on it, but you know, you grow up watching it and you see it, and you, you know, you know that the greens are pure. But just to have someone come back and confirm to say that you know the greens at that course are, are as good as that. Anyway, I think we we're probably going on about too much about PK. Um, anyway, Rocket, what else from the uh, the Southerly Buster? I was interested to find out what a Southerly Buster is. It's a drink at Kingston Heath. Not not just referring. It's a very good um, first quencher, that's for sure. Did you have one as as a celebratory uh, beverage, Rocket? Yes, I did. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, nice. Yes, I did. It was very, very nice. Sorry, very I, nice. Sorry, I didn't buy that for you, Rocket. I should have uh, put that on the uh, My Love of Golf expense account, but uh, <laughs> we don't have one. <laughs> um, uh, Rocket. Well, anything, anything else that you took out from there? So, who, you know, who else was down there? Richard McAfee, the um, many-time Kingston Heath Club champion, was down there. Mike Ferroni was down there. Chris Chris Day flew in from the states. So um, he's um, he, he's you got to give you got to commend the man. Like he loves his golf. <laughs> to make that trip just for essentially seventy-two hours, probably less than, and play the amount of golf, and then fly back home. He's a warrior. He's an absolute warrior. Um, but for me, oh, look, I, you know, you got to commend Matt and Will for what they've put on as, as a day. Um, I thought it was just fantastic. You know, even the hats and the tees and stuff like that. Um, you know, the stickers. Yeah, one of the rollback stickers is made it on the back of my laptop. There you go. Um, yeah, merching myself out. Um, <laughs> I get. I guess the and, point. The point, Rocket, is is what they're trying to communicate, and that's the real point. You know, we've we've joked about the tournament and that you had a uh, participating um, small participation in the win, but it's it's what they're trying to say, and and this is the start of something that I think they're trying to, you know, grow. Let's call it a movement, if for want of a better term. But grow an understanding around the distance, and we started to talk about distance when we talked about uh, the report that's come out recently from the USGA and RNA, but they're trying to bring everyone's attention to the distance issues that are surrounding the distance of the golf ball, the distance of modern technology, and how they're yeah. affecting you know, courses not too dissimilar to, to Kingston Heath, um, you know, which is an overly long course, uh, and courses of that nature, nature all around the world. So that's what it's all about. If you do follow the Twitters, well, it's and it's just it's it's not only that. It's there's multitude multitude of things. So so first of all, I think at at its heart, yes, you know, called the rollback alliance. But I think I think what it's trying to introduce is um, giving people an appreciation for the game and its history, mm-hmm. um, whether or not it was deliberately done or not. But the fact that it's 12 holes, you know, the first golf course, which is Prestwick, which is where the first Open Championship was played, it was 12-hole course. 
So the fact there's 12 holes, whether or not they've deliberately done it or not, I think is a great nod to the history of the game. The fact that a couple of guys rolled up there playing hickories, we're playing this old equipment. I'm reinvigorated again, you know, just spending half an hour talking with um, Michael about old equipment. Like, I'm probably going to smash my eBay account for the next six months because I want to have my own set of tour editions and I want to find some of the old big block drivers for next year. I'm excited because just to be able to pull out this old equipment. And But then, you know, and then to your point, highlighting, you know, the distance report because, you know, we've got this less than less than 0.1% of the game, which are, you know, those top echelon players. Um, and the equipment, especially the driver, especially the golf ball, has, has now got to a stage where it's rendering it almost impossible to play some of these classic courses, even as just regular sort of tour event places. Um, especially the way the USJ set them up, uh, it then makes it harder for courses to be built to build a tour event because they're having to try and find tees and stuff like that. Even Augusta National. Augusta National had to spend, I don't know how many millions of dollars to buy like the ninth hole, I think it was, at Augusta Country Club at the back so they could put in a new, they've just built a new tee for the 13th hole so it goes back another 50 yards. The 13th hole used to be a 465-yard par five, and you used to have to hit a really good drive around the corner to still have a long iron into the green. Um, you know, five years ago, Bubba, Bubba Watson hit a driver over the trees out of flip wedge in. I don't think this is how Augusta was meant to be played. So now this par five, just so they can try and defend the hole, they're going to make it play like a 500 and nearly 50 yard par five. Like that's that's the same length as what the second hole used to be traditionally, which is now nearly 590. And so, you know, modern, you know, people can throw their arms in the air in terms of, um, you know, are we trying to protect courses? And it's it's only these professionals, so you know we shouldn't worry about it. You know, the average not going to affect the average Joe. I think people forget it's about it's not about the professionals, it's not about the amateurs, it's actually about the game. Because um I think the what it's rendering is it's making the people that are really talented at golf at the top level, it's making it they're, they're basically taking away their advantage. You know, Adam Scott, Rory um Rory McElroy in terms of I think probably two of the best drivers on the planet, these the new drivers and the ability to hit a driver really easily and the golf balls have rendered their strength almost null and void. So they've allowed all these other mediocre people to come up and, and compete with them on a, on, a, on a different level. And then the distance that it goes, et cetera, et cetera. So it renders these courses null and void. It renders some of these players at levels of playing field out. It then changes the product that we produce because People aren't hitting different shots, or the course isn't testing people. You know, the you know Riviera was playing firm and fast, which meant a, a classic course, firm and fast, 
produced a different set of results and a lot of drama versus well, the bomb and gouge. Well, let's talk about that. Let's segue into that with you know your mentioning of Adam Scott and massive congratulations to Adam Scott on his second win at Riviera, this one without an asterisk. First one had an asterisk because it was a shortened, abbreviated event from 36 holes, two 36 holes. This week he beat a class field at a class course, as you've just articulated, Rocket. What a win. What a win. The Aussies, those, the Americans must be getting sick of us by now. We've won most of the events this and, year. They must. And be I getting... know I didn't pick him. I know I didn't pick him, but I did go back and listen to uh, the previous podcast, and I said, Adam Scott plays well here. Didn't pick him, but I said he plays well here. Um, my smoky pick um, was contending. Um, your pick was contending. Uh, my original pick missed the cut. Oh, he's a bit overfill at the moment. Um, but yeah, Adam Scott back in the winner's circle, first time in four years. I don't know. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good juju on uh, Silky Scott. For uh, 2020, there's something uh, I don't know. I think the I think he's I think the President's Cup. You know, you read a few articles about that. I think what happened in the President's Cup has really just fired him up and fired a few of the Aussies up, and uh, they're really gonna they're gonna make a mark on the uh, the world scene in 2020. I think. Well, absolutely. They already have gone a long way to already doing that. I think it's probably the most significant start from an Australian perspective on the US PGA Tour and the World Tour for that fact, you know. So who we've got Leash, Cam Smith, Lucas Herbert, Minwoo Lee, Adam Scott, Wade Ormsby won in uh, on the Asian Tour. Who else? Who else? Have I missed anyone? Have I missed anyone? Oh, there's a few from um, some of the... Um, oh, didn't Minji win a tournament? Mm. Two weeks ago, saving from on the women's side, um, and there's others that are just contending. Other Australians are just contending. So it's been a really, it's been a really good start to 2020 for for the uh, Green Gulf. So what were your outtakes from Riviera? What a course! It's just a great looking course, and as Mike Ferroni said on Sunday to us both. If yeah. you go to LA to play some golf, you want to play Riviera. If you can get at all to get to Riviera, that's the one that you want to play. I believe it's pretty hard to get onto, but he did say yeah. that's one of his favourite courses of all time. And, you know, when you watch that tournament, I didn't watch heaps and heaps and heaps of it, but uh, when you watch it, you know, it does look like a fantastic piece of uh, golf land rocket. Oh, yeah, it is. It is um, it's a spectacular piece of land in the middle of, you know, we'll call it a bit closer to the coast and a bit north of, of Los Angeles itself um, in a reasonably exclusive um, area, the Pacific Palisades, and it's been hosting that event for a very long time. It used to be known as the LA Open, but now it's the, um, I don't know, I might give it a name, Care Carnival Classic or something like that. <laughs> what do you reckon? Care of a Carnival Classic or Care Carnival Cup? Well, because Genesis is an American brand owned by Hyundai. Yeah. Hyundai also owned Kia. 
So let's just call it Care Carnival Classic. Um, <laughs> brum, brum. Um, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't, also, be, shouldn't be joking about this, the uh, automotive industry. A very sad day in the Australian automotive landscape with the uh, closure of the Holden brand owned by General Motors, which is a US brand. But anyway, anyway, sorry, go on. Um, yeah, and you've got Power Greens and Kokuyu. You know, so we've Australians have, uh, you know, Bobby Allenby has sort of eked out a victory there. We've got the Elk with the PGA in 95. So oh, I think that course is sort of set up for the uh, Aussies um, to perform well there. And yeah, it's just a real, it's just just a good old classic course. George C. Thomas um, designed that, and he designed a lot of others. I think uh, Thomas also designed Wilshire, which will be the site of uh, the Women's LA Open in May. So he's had a reasonable impact in that area. I think he also designed Bel Air and did he do LA? No, he did a few in the in the California area. So, yeah, it's just a, it's just a good event, just a really good event. Adam Scott played really well. Interesting final group. You had you know Steam Shovel. You know, had Anakin and um, Adam Scott in the in the final group. Um, the unfortunate thing is that you know when Anakin and and Scott were tied for the lead. On the fifth hole, both of them, you know, came a gutsa and Scotty made a double and Rory made a triple and no one saw any of those shots. It wasn't until they flashed to the leaderboard change that um, all of a sudden everyone was aware of, oh, something went horribly wrong on the previous hole. Well, you talked about, the, pro- you talked about the product there when we were talking about the rollback and um, you know, the quality of the product especially at the pointy end of uh, golf the professional end is that having an impact on what you're articulating here with the quality of the coverage or the lack of quality of the coverage in this regard that that you know filling in many many you know sort of periods of banal you know not banal golf that's not the right way to describe it but i think you get the gist of what i'm trying to say uh, and and missing key moments because they're filling filling in time with interviews with you know sponsors that probably you know, or showing someone that's one under playing the seventeenth hole yeah just because they might be a top ten player who cares yeah, exactly. show the leaders exactly who's contending um you know so you've got yeah um I I noticed this a lot during the AT and T. Last week, I've noticed it for the last few years with the AT&T. Yes, I understand it's a celebrity event, but there is, I, and I think I, I don't even know if I talked about it last week, but I don't know how you've got an AT&T and then you've got Riviera. So you've got two absolute, you, you've got the two of the best settings to showcase the game and broadcast. You're paying all this money and what you dish up in terms of the coverage. So whoever's in charge of what they're cutting to and what they're showing, they really need to, maybe they need to roll back the directors or whatever it is because what's being shown is it's quite, it's, it's almost insulting to the product and the game because 
they're not showing the leaders. They're not showing the drama that's happening. And if something happens, usually it used to be you'd have a, a hole that might be recorded and you've got to go back to it and they've got to, you know, the, the announcers kind of pretend that it's live, but it's not. Um, but they're not doing any of that. They're not going back to the dramatic stuff. They're just letting it kind of play out. And all of a sudden, you know, you can have these three and four hole stretches where you might even, not even see a shot. You know, like at and t last week, Phil Mickelson went and played, when he played through um, uh, six, seven, and eight, didn't see a shot. Didn't see him hit one shot through six, seven, and eight. Like the three most dramatic parts of the course with a person who was um, uh, second to Nick Taylor in the final round, and we didn't see him play one shot. You know, you, you, you've got the world number one player tied to the lead with Adam Scott, makes a triple bogey on the fifth. We never got to see one of those seven shots. Adam Scott made a double bogey. Never got to see him. Kent Holt, Riviera, Harold Varner was tied for the lead. Cold popped it. Didn't even know about it until another 20 minutes. And it was another 45 minutes before we got to see it. Like, I, I don't understand it. And they were cut to all these, just people just hitting putts. Hitting putts. I'm sick of just watching people hit putts. What about chipping? Bunker shots, wedge shots, iron shots, shots from the rough, shots from the trees. There's all these other parts of the game that we just don't get to see. And then on top of that, they have all these dead spaces filled with either ads or just these random interviews with people. They showed some, some footage. They were showing some stuff. Of, they showed more of Ricky Fowler and Phil Mickelson in the final round. They were showing some highlights of their swings. Nicholson missed the cut and Ricky Fowler wasn't playing. Like, oh. I know it's been done to death on a few other podcasts as well, but from a product perspective, it's making it hard to watch. It's, you know, you think about the courses being, the courses are being rendered almost like null and void in terms of how they're designed to test the golfer. And then on top of that, you've got someone like CBS who's paying a lot of money and they're making the product suck. It's not good for the game. Well, Rocket, there's no wonder why some big money people are coming in and suggesting that they need to do it differently, need to find a better a better way. Segway, segway central tonight. And need to find something like what I think we refer to as the World Golf Series or the World Golf Tour, the WGT or whatever it is. There's no wonder that that is coming up and you know, you're getting some rich nations and rich people putting – to the tune of how many hundreds of millions of dollars on the table? Uh, apparently, the cachet by the consortium is they're sitting at around about anywhere from half a billion to a billion dollars ready to ready to splash on a world golf tour or what they're calling it, Premier Golf League. So just fill us in for those that don't know what the Premier Golf League, uh, the construct of that is proposed to be. So this one's been boiling away under the surface for a very long time and there's always been articles and rumours of it. Um, But I think Mr. Jeff Shackleford kind of broke this one about four weeks ago, four or five weeks ago, 
which kind of sent a bit of a shockwave through the golfing circles. Uh, yeah, there's a consorti- consortium, um, it's a group of investors who have been on the recruiting path for players, um, also have a lot of funding themselves. Uh, they also have from the Saudi investment funds, so Saudi Arabia, about 50% of the money that's been invested is coming from there. So that that's another moral dilemma we'll park to the side. Um, so the concept is we, you know, they're going to have teams, so people that own franchises. So think of concept of T20. And you have franchises which have almost like a business and they recruit players. Um, they can also then cut players, etc. And these people play a series of 15 to 18 events. They may not play all of them. So the teams could be five or six people. So not you, know, you could interchange players coming in and out depending on the schedules. doesn't touch the majors, uh, to be clear. And to be played around the globe. So no cut playing for massive, massive pieces of cash. So the top players in the world basically getting the blind share of the money and people owning franchises. So, you know, think of it, uh, one of the people who's probably very uh, on board because he likes to play, he does certainly won't be playing Champions Tour anytime soon, is Phil Mickelson. I'm pretty sure he would love to be a team owner, recruit four to five players, and own his own franchise to go out and just play for big money, um, you know, 15 times a year. So there's a whole raft of players, you know, they're going after the top ones, JT, Rory. Um, I heard a rumour today that the group are actually trying to throw, we'll call it up to $200 million at Tiger for him to come over. So it's a, you know, if they get four or five players, you know, is it uh, is that all you need to basically have all the other players go with them? Um, at the moment, they don't have a TV partner, which is probably a good thing because then they can control the message and they can control the content. They're not being dictated to. If they get all these big players, what does that mean to the tools? You know, PGA Tour, European Tour, Asian Tour, all the other players, how do you recruit players? Players that do play in this, and if they get cut by the team, where do they go play? Are they allowed to go play? Is it is it almost like a rebel tour, and you become blacklisted for twelve months and can't play in the US or Europe? Well, that's that's certainly what's been uh, I think alluded to by Jay Monahan from uh, who where, where was where's Jay Monahan from? What do you refer? What's the name for that organisation? Oh, the um, the Sith Lords of Pontevedra. There you go. Otherwise known as the PGA <laughs> PGA Tour. So, um, yeah, I think that's what he's muted. That if you thinking about defecting to a rebel league, uh, you will suffer the consequences of not being able to come back to the uh, the tour. So you can't just choose to go in and go out. You're a member of a tour, and uh, you either stick with it. So, yeah, it's. It's oh a, look, you know, it's and, and it won't be the first time the PGA Tour have have played hardball with players. They they did it to Seve. They did it to Seve in the eighties. They kind of almost just said, you know, 
you can't play 12 events. You know, you, you have to come on sponsors' exemption. Um, they almost did it with the shark as well. Um, and actually, the, the, the sh- they brought in a minimum 15 rule. It used to be a lot higher than that. Uh, I think specifically for the Shark and, and Seve because the Shark would never play any more than 15 to 16 events in the US ever, ever. So it, it, it became a bit of a, a sticking point. So I think Mr. Beeman came up with a wee compromise on that. Um, so it, it'll be really interesting how it plays out. But then, you know, I think back to the CBS, you know, there's all these little moving pieces of, you know, things that are going to change in the game and what does it mean? You know, I think about, you know, I got on my little high horse about how CBS was showing the golf and the coverage. And, you know, if you're Jay Monaghan and you see the backlash in some of these, um, one on social media by some of the people that are well-respected that write articles about golf, some of the, uh, podcasts for that next generation of golfers are quite scathing, and they have been for a while. There's a couple of them that have been on this on this for a while in terms of the the product and the quality of the product and what's going on, and that potentially could have led to. You know, I think it was an announcement last week or the week before, where apparently the PGA Tour are going to take control of um, uh, all content at at events. Um, either next year, next season, or it might be the season after, uh, and then um, and then feed that content out to the relevant partners and stakeholders that are either airing airing um, PGA Tour uh, events around the globe, or whether or not that even transfers to what they do with um, the likes of CBS and NBC and 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 Golf Channel, and, and have a bit more control in their product. Because, um, you know, if you think about what's happened with over the last few weeks and then you think about what's about to come with this uh, World Golf Tour, you know, the, the one thing that's, you know, only got, the, the only thing that's going to protect you, it's, it's, you know, the eyeballs. Are you going to retain the eyeballs um, on, on some of these tour events or are you going to lose it to this, um, this World Golf Tour? Um, which which I don't know, and the the only way I could put this into context and no laying up guys I stole my thunder and I had this written down for us when we're going to talk about this last week. But you know I'm a wrestling nut, and you know back when it used to be WWF, um, it kind of had a monopoly on on wrestling, and the product was okay, it was pretty good. But you know, it, it lacked a little bit of, I don't know, a bit of zip, so to speak. And you had Ted Turner, um, a wealthy billionaire who's going CNN, Lana Braves, etc., decided to get into wrestling and create his own, um, we'll call it rival competition, which was WCW, which is an offshoot of TNA. Oh. Oh no! I'm, and that was an offshoot of that one. No, I won't. I won't. I won't get into the machinations. But it was WCW, 
and then started hiring, um, you know, signing, you know, some elite talent from WWF, WCW, um, and, you know, things they started to do. They started airing the shows live. They would run it right up against, you know, WWF. Um, they would started to add a little bit more edge to some of their shows and they was and it became and there's actually a really good documentary on it which is called Monday Night Wars where it was these two shows for about five years were just going at it hammer and tong at each other in terms of you know in the fight for eyeballs and at the time WWF which is owned by Vince McMahon and the McMahon family um, they were they were being put to the wall in terms of they were losing eyeballs they were struggling with you know ads and selling uh, events into arenas um, because they had a high very expensive product and you had this upstart coming in delivering a, a lower cost base but just delivering a, a new experience for people pinching their talent um, yeah pinching their talent but but the thing that that created is that it, it, it drove Vince McMahon to become um, to to reach into the reach into the banks for new talent and trying to find new talent to and then also started to change the way they're doing so to compete they created a bit more edge to change their product and it created what what uh, wrestling nuts if anyone listens to this wrestling nuts the uh, attitude era which is probably out now the best probably ten years of of um you know wrestling. Well, we'd call it sports entertainment or days of our lives for dudes. Um, best 10 years of, of content storylines and wrestling you, you'll ever find. And I haven't been able to recapture it since. But um, WWF, you know, WWE, end up winning that war because they improved their product, they changed their branding, they started to listen to their people who started to become more savvy, a lot smarter, um, a lot more aware of storylines and things like that, and you couldn't hoodwink them anymore. So, you know, I see that story or that part in history almost playing out in golf. You know, us golf fans, you can't hoodwink us, hoodwink us anymore. We're too well-informed. We're really particular about the game and the game that we love, and we just want... We want the game to grow. But the thing is, though, if the content that's being put on TV is subpar, it's really hard to get people to watch it. So only people that will watch golf are hardcore fans because, you know, if it's not captivating and, and telling a story um, and all the storylines that, that get missed by some of these people that are broadcasting golf, the, the product going to die and this is why it's created a vacuum and now this is why this PGL is, is, is up and running because they can see that there's a there's a need for it. You look at the match, Tiger Woods versus Phil Mickelson one day playing for 9 million bucks right there and then it showed that people will go and pay money to see that match the ridiculous coin do you think Tiger Woods and Phil and all the other top professionals went Oh, I could make a sh- absolute truckload of cash without having to spend a whole year grinding out twenty events, thirty events, 
I could make that same amount of money in probably three weeks. There you have it. There you have it, people. That's Rocket's take on what the game of golf can learn in the world of sports entertainment, otherwise known as WWF. I think it's a beautiful analogy, Rocket. I've not really ever been a massive WWF fan, but uh, I can see where you went. I can see why you went there. And Well, it, it was the tipping point of a monopoly, right? Yeah. They had a monopoly on it. They had a disruptor come in. And they were able to be they were able to be nimble enough and, and over time be able to retain you know, there's still other brands out there that, that are out there, but they, they're able to re- regain retain their dominance because they listened to the people and they, they gave the people what they wanted. Uh, and this is what the PGA tour has to do. This is what the European tour have to do. They have to come together collectively and change the way they do things. Oh, I think the European tour do a fantastic job. Um, considering the limitations that they have, um, they already play like a world game because they're playing all across Europe. Their me- social media team and their media team do a fantastic job. They could probably up it on some of the courses they probably should play in some of those areas. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can't play some of those classic courses because the equipment. So again, it comes down to the con. It's the, it's what's the, what what are you packaging up and delivering to the people that that are that are craving for just amazing content. The amazing content is how do you maybe get mics closer to bags? How do you show more shots? Show more shots, like actual shots and storylines that are in events. Like, like for example, you have Max Homer, who nearly fin- he finished there, went made you know made a bit of a run near the end, and he's trying to you know at least tie. I win, but I, I think the first shot that was shown of him was um, like the 16th hole, and he was thereabouts near the top of the lead all day, and he's had a fantastic run for the last four weeks. Yet we don't see anything. We don't see any. We don't see him hit any shots. And you think about it, a player like that is playing really well, and they got sponsors themselves. Right, so, so so these telecasts are also doing a disservice to the these young players that people have interest and want to see these storylines, and the sponsors that that are putting their hard earn on some of these young players. Like it's just, you, you got to keep watering and feeding this. Like they're killing it. They're just they're just killing it. They're killing the product. Rocket, I'm gonna, killing the product. I'm going to throw my two bobs worth in because I'll. Because I can, because it's my podcast, Rocket. So I will throw my two. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'll throw my two bobs worth in. So if I'm uh, Keith Pelly from the uh, chief executive of the European Tour and uh, Jay Monahan from uh, the PGA Tour, I am calling a crisis meeting, and I'm devising a global tour using the best of their assets, i the players, i some of the sponsors that they have collectively. And more importantly, some of the beautiful golf assets that they have, golf courses. And I'm putting together a tour that combines all of those assets into one kick-butt global tour where the best golfers can play on the best golf courses under one tour umbrella, representing Europe, representing the P- America. It doesn't matter where you're from. You know, you're on the PGA Tour. You're on this world tour that's not a rogue rogue state rogue money you know rogue tour 
and they're using the best of the assets because as you've alluded to and not alluded to, as you've correctly pointed out in terms of referencing the product, you know, we the PJ Tour sometimes ends up in places that we don't really have any significance in terms of looking at the golf course. We don't have any interest in that. It doesn't hold any weight. And pick the best courses from around the globe and put the players on those courses week in, week out. They will travel. They all want the money. They all want the prestige. They all want the notoriety of winning. They all want to play on these good golf courses. You know, Melbourne, Royal Melbourne proved that. They like playing on the good golf courses and they will travel for, for that. It's not that hard for these guys to jump on their net jets or, you know, wheels up or whatever it is. They will get there. Don't worry about that. But put them on the best courses around the world at for the globe to see. That's that's what's, you know, stopping it. You know, and the other analogy, you know, you used the wrestling analogy. So I'll throw in, I don't know if you ever watched much of the Tour de France, but it's only on in July. And there are... It's one of the biggest sporting events in the world in terms of people watching it um, on TV. And I watch it. Now, I am not a cyclist. I think, you know, my best cycling performance is, you know, 10 laps around Parramatta Park when I used to live in Sydney before work for fitness benefits, and that was about it. But I do find myself staying up at unorthodox hours, breaking the circadian rhythms, watching the Tour de France. Now, why do I watch it? Because they cover it so well. They cover the, the countryside. T- it's a beautiful, they realise where they are. They cover it they so well. They are in France. They, every day is different. It's designed to be different. They're all in France, but they pick the best spots and they cherry pick the best spots. So they're not always the same spots. The route's not always the same. And if they finish in one part of France and they need to get to the other part, they'll have a day where they shuttle everyone across and then they're in the mountains. And the next day they might be in another part and then, and so on and so forth. And it's just magnificent to watch. You are captivated by the scenery. So that my analogy is that's the golf course. The scenery is the golf course. I want to be captivated by the golf course week in, week out, and I won't stop watching it. When the best players are performing, the best players are up there leading, the best players are doing whatever they do. Anyway, that's... How it's, I think about it, it. is. It's the, the golf course, like that, like France for the Tour de France. It's the canvas, mm. right? And the golfers are the painters. Mm-hmm. And what are they going to draw when they do on that? Put on that canvas. They, they, are we going to see a Picasso, or are we just going to see a couple of kids with crayons? All right, because at the moment the PGA Tour, with a soft, wet bomb and gouge, is a couple of kids with crayons. Yep. So. There's our rant, Rocket. I think we've, I think we've developed a solution. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not a solution that hasn't been uh, flaunted by. Well, the world golf, well, the world golf tour. I, mean, I know you set me some homework and I failed miserably, um, but uh, it it would be, you know, you're right, Jay Jay Monahan and, and Keith need to get together, and the Asian tour need to get together, and they need to have so these WGCs. And this is the concept, and this is where they, they this is where they stuffed up, right? Because Greg Norman was right on the money a long time ago, and the WGCs is kind of half baking his idea, and his idea was creating. You, know, you have top seventy players in the world, call it top seventy players in the world, playing eight, 15 to eighteen. I think he had ten to fifteen top events 
around the globe on the best courses and these players going head-to-head for big bucks. If they'd actually done it and you create that content, right? Because then the Australian Open becomes this co-sanctioned event for multiple tours and it's only for, you know, you could have, Australian Open could still be a 140-people field, but you have the top 70 plus these other 70 that might be Australian players and stuff like that to qualify to try and fill that out. You know, or then you might have something that could be played in the US on just a, a, a couple of the classic courses because you don't have those bigger fields. You might limit the size of the crowds and things like that to create a different atmosphere because some of those courses just can't cater for you know massive people and car parks and stuff like that. And then some of the places in Europe, some of the courses in Europe that could be tapped into, and the 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 taking some of these classic tournaments that have been mainstays of those tours over a very long time and, and reinvigorating them, you know. So, for example, why not the Western Open being played at Chicago Golf Club? But the thing is, though, the Western Open doesn't exist anymore and it was probably one of the longest standing tournaments on the US tour and probably propped it up for a very long time. It doesn't exist anymore. But so re- resurrecting some of these tournaments, they're just classic tournaments that have some amazing winners and you play them on amazing courses and you rotate it in some of these areas and you showcase the best players. You know, it should have been done a long time ago. And then maybe, that, and you're right, they have to do this now because who knows what this, PGL is going to do, especially Saudi Arabia, right? They're trying to money launder their way into um, a moral compass pointing north. Yeah, and that's uh, that's another whole other can of worms and the, yeah. you know, the people that have already sort of talked about aligning yeah. themselves with that. Anyway, um, we've got the WGC this weekend. So how many people in that? Is, 70, is it 72 people? 70. I think it's 70. Reasonable. Australians. Yeah, pretty reasonable field. So some notables absent. Uh, who are the notables that are absent, Rocket? Who, who's 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 having a rest oh. this weekend? Tiger. Mm-hmm. I think he's back to a wee bit sore. Um, and I, he's probably thinking, oh, I want to go to Mexico because they've got a Florida swing coming up. Uh, I thought Adam Scott wasn't going to play. Uh, Brooks is not playing. He's catching trams in San Francisco at the moment. Walking around the subway with a San Francisco Giants top with Kepka on the back and the uh, USPGA trophy, sort of doing a bit of spruiking uh, for his uh, defence, going for a three-beat. Um, who else is not playing? I'm trying to think of going through the top rankings. Didn't see Ricky Fowler there, actually. No, Ricky Fowler. Yeah. But yeah, nah. so it doesn't matter who who's not playing. The field that is playing is pretty. I would say it's a pretty strong field. I would say that it's pretty strong. We've got uh, Scott Hend in there. Yeah, um, we've got Lucas Herbert in there. We've got Charles yep. Howell in there. Charles Howell the thirds in there. Billy Horschel's in there. No, but seriously, there is uh, Justin Johnson's in there. Who else is in there? Uh, fraudulent physicist. Fraudulent physicist. Physicist. The uh, steam shovel. <laughs> steam shovel. Charlie's in there. Yeah. Um, Sun JM's playing. Sun JM. My my boy Shane. The uh, my boy uh, Graham is playing. Great G Mac and um, Shane Lowry. The, and the leash. Playing. Yep. The leash is in there. 
Um, oh, yeah, Bobby Mack. Uh, Bobby Mack. Rory Mack, Bobby Mack, Nick Mack, Paddy Wack. Zach. Zach Murray. Zach, Zach Murray. Zach Murray from Australia is playing in there. That's unbelievable. Zach Murray from us, from Australia, yes. So he, Mattress he, King. The Mattress King's in. So Zach Murray gets uh, entry into the WGC based on winning the Australian Order of Merit last year, which uh, that's one of the yep. um, nice little perks that you get from that. And my other boy, Westy. Westy's in there. Love Westy. Pultz yeah. might be an alternate, so I think Pultz will probably get in. Someone will, someone will drop out and Pultz will get in. But, uh, Sam Buckets playing. So, but the disappointing thing is uh, I don't think we can watch it anyway, can we? We can't watch this, anyone? This one's not... No, it's WGC. It's on Golf TV, so yeah. let's not, not broadcast it to um, anyone. That's all right. Another failing of golf is to not have the big events like a WGC available on somewhere where we can get it. It's bad enough that... You know, here in Australia, you can only get golf on subscribe and pay for W um, Golf TV or Foxtel. That's hard enough as it is, but uh, jeepers weepers, you know, just just broadcast all the events, guys. Unbelievable. We've had a fair bit of a rant tonight, Rocket, and uh, yep. you've given a fair degree of insight into that whole Premier Golf League scenario. It's a few weeks uh, past it coming out, so it's not new, new information, but... I think that our listeners always appreciate the depth and breadth that you go into uh, and you just bring it back to a level that, that makes it easy to digest, easy to understand, and I think people people like your point of view, Rocket, and that's the feedback that I get. So if we might be a couple of weeks late with our download on that, I'm sure that you'll find something interesting in our take and especially the Rocket Man's take. Uh, what else happened over the week, Rocket? We had the ladies down at Royal Adelaide. Inby Park. Yeah, Inby Park. Hannah Green, um, Hannah Green said that Inby Park must have been playing a different course because uh, how well she played. Hannah Green didn't fare so well uh, over the journey. Inby, but, uh, Inby, have a look. Have a look at Inby Park swing. She uh, she owns her swing. Yeah. She owns her swing. Another another young lady that I spent a little bit of time watching uh, practicing chipping and putting uh, at. Uh, 13th Beach, and yes, you're right. Very, very, very impressive. Not more, more impressive, but no less important is the results of, I think, one of the everyone's favourite golfer in in ladies golf, Christina Kim. Yeah, three three events, three top tens. Yeah. Uh, now, Christina Kim hasn't been a, a top performer for a, a number of years, Rocket. I think, what, what do we identify? Maybe three or four or five years that she's sort of had, you know. Well, the last three events, I think, you know, she's turned out top 10. They were the first from three weeks ago. It was the first top 10 she'd had in like four years. Now, if, if you've been in the company of Christina Kim, uh, you'll appreciate why we are so happy for her because she is – you know, one of the one of the characters of, of women's golf and a nice... She tells it how it is and, and she appreciates the rules. Yep. Nicer person you would not sp- have the opportunity to spend some time in as I did uh, not this year but last year and she was just so engaging. She made sure that everyone was catered for and welcomed and uh, she wanted to know everyone's name and a little bit about everyone. She didn't have to do that and, you know, her... I guess her standing in in my mind uh, went up. I didn't I didn't really 
know too much about her up until that point, but uh, I can see why she is so well loved amongst the uh, ladies' golfing community and hopefully the greater golfing community as a whole. Anyway, enough about Christina Kim, but a great series of results down here in Australia for her and uh, against a you know full full strength uh, quality fields. Royal Adelaide, what a golf course! Uh, it's great to see the girls playing oh, yeah. on Royal Adelaide and. Uh, I like to see the men play in Royal Adelaide sometime too, but uh, maybe maybe that might not happen. Maybe it might not happen, Rocket. But uh, anything else from you before we sign off? We've had another five minute chat that's gone for over an hour. <laughs> if you have made, uh, it, made it the journey, thank you. Uh, yes, you were going to say, Rocket. The the only thing, and, and it's with uh, great sadness that uh, today was the passing of uh, Mickey Wright, um, who probably you know from a women's golf perspective she was the greatest of all time um so she um, only had a birthday the other day celebrated her 85th birthday uh, unfortunately just passed away today um so she won 13 major championships 82 lpga tour events you know, victories member of our world golf hall of fame and you know real pioneer for women's golf uh, especially in the 50s and 60s. And and if anyone should just, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, who and are over, you know, old footage of Ben Hogan on YouTube. Uh, I implore everyone to go out there and have a look at uh, uh, footage of uh, Mickey Wright's swing because it is just pure. Um, and I think, and I'm probably going to, oh, there might be some historians out there that might shoot me down on this one, but I believe that Byron Nelson um, had uh, actually said that uh, she had probably the most technically and fundamentally sound golf swing uh, on the planet. So, you know, that's um, it's a high praise indeed from Byron Nelson, who is an absolute legend and a great swinger of the golf ball in his own right. Rocket, well done for bringing us that. It is very important to acknowledge the people who have helped shape our great game and whether you knew of Mickey Wright or not, she's not with us anymore and she's obviously a legend of the game, Hall of Famer um, many times over. So, yeah, sad day for the ladies, sad day for golf. But anyway, on that note, Rocket, I think we might bring this episode to a close. Thanks for listening again. Appreciate your feedback as always. If there's anything you want to hear from us, Keep talking to us. Uh, I hit the new sim driver last couple of rounds, Rocket. I'll tell you all about that in the next episode when we get together. I'll give you a full rundown of the tailor-made sim driver. I know that's got you I'm excited. Still, I'm, still, I'm still waiting for, for um, Matt Bervais to um, maybe just <laughs> slip on my way, you know, for a bit of a review. But 